Welcome to Blogs on Tape. Today's post is TKD1, Gary's Hawaiian Shirts, written by Richard G., originally published on Richard's Dystopian Pokeverse. You can find the post at lurkerablog.wordpress.com. TKD1, Gary's Hawaiian Shirts. Picture A book is open on a table. On the left page is a tiki figure and a devil in front of a background of flames with the caption, Tiki must be stopped. On the right page are two people in Hawaiian shirts in front of a Moai statue. The caption says, It has opened up millions of people to direct contact with demons. The left-hand person says, Nice statue, Bill. And the right-hand person says, Yeah, let's pray to it. And picture. I've been wrestling with how to write this post for a while. It's tempting to write a book. Instead, I think I'll try to keep this brief and useful for gaming. History teaches you that context is important. The culture behind events not only shapes them, it also gives them meaning. Culture is practice, what people do every day, and imagination what people think the world and society around them is like, how they imagine it used to be, and or how they'd like it to be. Picture. Three photos of D&D designers in Hawaiian shirts, including Gary Gygax, Frank Menser, and Tim Cass. I grew up in Cornwall, far from the matrix that spawned D&D, while being confusingly close to the imagined source of its medievalish elements. Because I grew up there, I couldn't see it in the romantic terms Gygax and company seemed to see. Picture. Postcard in black and white from Tintagel, Cornwall. The postcard is made of several photos of the attractions of Tintagel, including the ruins of King Arthur's castle, the old post office, and the cliffs. End picture. Tolkien was my guide to romantic medievalism, and we all know the arguments about whether that's a primary source for D&D or not. Not Ivanhoe, or Vance's Lionessa, or Anderson's Three Hearts. I had almost no exposure to the titles in Appendix N. I actually had to special order Barsoom books once AD&D had told me about them, because they weren't on local shop shelves. A big part of my involvement with the OSR over the past few years has been trying to understand where Gygax was coming from with his peculiar gloss on medieval England. As for the rest of the specifically American imaginary landscape that D&D borrowed from, I'd get little glancing references from time to time, but they didn't mean any coherent thing. Elvis movies, westerns. When He-Man or Xena turned up, they were completely sui generis. Carcosa took me totally by surprise. Picture. A Masters of the Universe poster showing the characters that follow He-Man on the left side, pitted against the followers of Skeletor on the right, with the evil horde in the middle. End picture. So when Natalie Bennett prompted me to look at the cultural complex of Tiki, it sent me off down an archaeological rabbit hole that's still extending in front of me, with side tunnels into the invention of tourism 
and Thailand's land of smiles, and just what European expats were doing in Samoa in the 1880s. Picture. Rendering of the interior view of a tiki bar called Kaikilis. The bar is lined with Moai faces, and there are tiki totems throughout. End picture. But two things seemed really clear. Number one, D&D and Tiki are horns on the same goat. Number two, Tiki informed the attitude of a lot of early D&D. Tiki shows a bunch of similarities with D&D. From the spats between the two great progenitors of Tiki, Don Beach and Trader Vic, to the difficulty in reconstructing its early forms. Both Tiki and D&D have risen and fallen as cultural movements. Both are enjoying current revivals significantly nurtured by guys called Jeff. Sometimes the influence is direct. According to Chirine Bacal, quote, Professor M.A.R. Barker was out on the West Coast at USC Berkeley at the beginnings of the Tiki craze, and some of his artwork from that time is stylistically very similar to some of the menus from the local tiki watering holes. Every year, to celebrate the Soliani New Year's holiday, I decorate my game room with my extensive collection of tiki artifacts and items." Quote. Most of all, both offer a temporary escape into a carefully crafted fantasy world from the routines of modern life for a table full of people at a time, provided they aren't too self-conscious about putting aside their regular uniforms. When Gary and Dave started doing this with dice at the end of the 60s, it had already been running in specially created imaginative environments for the previous 30 years. Picture. A series of promotional images for the tiki bar, Kahikis, showing exterior rendering with large Moai statues and flames, an interior diagram of the Kahiki Supper Club and its rooms, a group of patrons exiting between the large Moai faces, and an interior picture of a floor-to-ceiling tiki face fireplace. End picture. The starting points and equipment might be different, but both immediately devolve into hours of chatting and dreaming for a group of friends who don't want to rehash the concerns of their week. For what is the DM but an attentive barman? I said I'd try to keep this useful. Okay, here's the thing. Tiki is not just, or even principally, a set of rum cocktails or a style of interior design. Tiki is an attitude. A way of engaging with the world that I think is important for understanding early D&D. And that attitude is seriously unserious. It takes elements that it knows are ridiculous and accepts them as authentic, true in the moment. It holds consequences lightly and laughs at its own pratfalls. It's touristic in the sense that tourists are always playing a role. The interested outsider, there but not fully committed. The lost ingenue, the troublemaker. It never forgets that this temporary tropical island paradise has walls. That outside lies the Minnesota winter, or Hollywood's greasy pole or Houston's endless parking lot so it never has to worry about what its fantasies look like from the inhabitants' side. Those inhabitants are helping to create the imaginary. Tiki is a shared joke. 
that you can take as seriously as you want. I think this might be what John Wick has always missed with Tomb of Horrors. There's a kind of Bob Hope, you'll like this one, wink in that module. As a player, you're supposed to go, I can't believe I fell for that. But you're not going to if your DM isn't laughing with you, but at you. The deadliest dungeon ever made is like the deadliest cocktail. And there's a very gamer-like machismo around drinks like the zombie and the suffering bastard, which belies their decidedly unmacho umbrellas and fruit presentation. You're a fool if you order it. So of course you do, and that makes you the fool of the evening as you drink it. Some further performance may be necessary. Tiki is deliberately bad taste. I don't really mean postmodern, but rather it's generating its own aesthetic, and it is deliberately not going to be too picky about what sources go into that aesthetic. If classicism is a conservative impulse that tries to reproduce good taste by reinforcing a set of rules, Tiki is a liberal one that embraces novelty, plays up the exotic, and knows it's titillating. It is an important part of the attitude not to frown and say, I don't think that fits here, but rather to strike a referential pose and roll with it for a while. So does anything go? Well, no, but that's part of being a good barman. If the customer hates the drink you mixed, it goes in the fire and you make them a new one. Everyone has to be ready for that possibility. Nobody should go into a traumatized funk if a move doesn't work. Corollary. Tiki has a freewheeling attitude to appropriation of other cultures, others' artwork, anything that passes by. This was more charming in D&D before the publishers got all protective of their own IP and started canonizing it as P.I. But if you're running Tiki D&D, you're going to be dealing with issues of appropriation, if only because Tiki himself has been rudely stolen from Polynesia. Picture. Three carved wooden tiki statues. End picture. If actual offended Polynesians come and try to stop your game, and if they won't be bought off with an offer of drinks, then I'd say your best defense is the opposite of what you usually hear, about being culturally sensitive or paying attention to the original meaning of whatever you've nicked. Instead, pile on so much of your own creativity that the appropriated parts are transformed into something new. That's what artists do. Picture. A colorful mock-up of a tiki-based tablet game. And picture. Picture. Wooden tiki piloting a flying saucer with dangling tentacles. The tentacles are wrapped around a woman dressed in a coconut bra with flower jewelry. And picture. Thinking about it, the slow evaporation of the tiki mood from D&D just might be what defines the edge between James Malachewski's Golden and Silver Ages. When D&D got its visual style defined as heavy metal, it acquired metal's earnestness. The wargamer tourists of the 70s gave way to a new player base of D&D natives who took it all very seriously and wanted to know just how heavy that axe was. Kitsch, whimsy, a lack of intensity. These became signs of poor commitment. With thanks and apologies to Trey Cousy, Scott Martin, Steve Seedy, and Chirine Bacall, 
all of whom have been quoted out of context and may want to disavow this whole thing. That was Tiki and D1, Richard's Hawaiian Shirts, read by Gregory Blair. Blogs on Tape is a project that seeks to make audio recordings of the best works in the OSR, hopefully making them more accessible to everyone. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tell a friend.